We're Cynthia Vargavisser and Michelle Walters, co-hosts of Mind Power Meets Mystic. Our weekly show is here to expand your mind to what's possible, to uplift your spirits, to move forward with confidence and joy, and to create a space for your collaboration with the invisible. Welcome to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Hey, 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 party people. Michelle and I are with one of my favorite, favorite people in the whole wide world. He is my martial arts buddy, um, Nick Whiteman. Today, we're talking with him about men's issues and not just about men's issues in general, but how are men responding to having like this great uprising of women and, uh, and also just what is their mindset? Because, you know, a lot of us want to hang out and maybe make soulmates out of them. So uh, we're going to get some insight. I adore him. He's um, um, a, an MFT and uh, also runs many men's groups, which makes him perfect for this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. So good to be with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you that I swear here. So if you end up swearing, there is no bleeping. There's don't have to worry about the expletives. I actually just heard your intro to your podcast and I love it. And I was just going to say the F F bomb dropping Virgo. Is that what you say on there? Yeah. yeah. I was hoping we could get at least a couple of those. Today. It tends it tends to happen. Can't help it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, listen. We have a lot of our friends are these amazing women, super strong, make great money, are driven, ambitious. They know a lot, and they have a really hard time really understanding men and why they just can't seem to. Um, uh, like catch a mate. And I'm not saying that you're here to be a matchmaker, but with these type of women who are looking for, you know, these kinds of mates that are even stronger than them, or I'm wondering if the, uh, if your clients uh, are onto this and have um, some challenges and, you know, just something around there, just get a little bit of the male perspective. Yeah, sure. I actually have a lot of men who I'm working with who are also struggling to find a partner and wondering what is it that makes it so hard? And one of the questions I like to go over with people is one way to approach it is to have your list. You know, I want a partner who has these top 10 things and I, it's sort of like their stats list, you know, makes this much money, you know, whatever, has these interests, is six feet tall, like all these can be more superficial things and I'm not saying those aren't important but what I find is a deeper question is how do you want to feel in your next relationship and do you want to feel respected do you want to feel prioritized do you want a companion who's going to be there do you want someone who's exciting and it that question tends to turn up some different answers or you know open some different avenues to explore because sometimes what we think we want isn't what we need, you know, right. and a lot of people go about dating, uh, holding this blueprint or this model and just 
kind of holding it up around everyone they're chatting with on their dating apps or whatever and saying, ah, this person doesn't fit next. And what's happening is they might be passing up on someone really great for them. And you don't always know until you're making a connection and seeing, is there chemistry here? You know, maybe it's not the person who's a 10 out of 10 attractiveness, but that could be your life partner. That person could be perfect. Right. So yeah, opening opening their minds about how what you're really looking for. You know, is it the stat sheet or is it how you want to feel? It's so nice to meet you, Nick, as somebody who has done or tried a few times the online dating thing. It is of um shall we say sometimes it's very efficient and effective. I met a wonderful partner oh. that way, and sometimes it's not so much. But I've never you know, prior to the existence of online dating, like before it existed, you met people usually because you had something in common with them. You had a friend in common, you worked at the same place, you were going to the same school. Like there was some sort of energetic connection between people. And now I think I read recently, it's like 30% of people meet their partners online so it's a big percent I mean the one out of three that's a lot um but it's a very different way of looking at at choices and options and um I've got to imagine that from it's pretty horrible looking at it from the women's point of view I I think it might be even worse looking at it from the men's point of view Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's a hard thing you know I've had more than once where I have one client and obviously as a therapist, I'm bound by confidentiality. So I can't share one client stuff with another, but I'll be talking to one person and I'll just say in a, in a hetero situation where the guy's looking for a partner is struggling with connecting with someone online. And, you know, we talk about this, then I have a female client and over time I'm sitting here thinking, God, I wish I could just put these two people together (laughs) You know, like they're both struggling. They both have this sense of when is this going to happen for me? Is there anyone out there? And in the darkest moments of it, am I even lovable? Am I desirable? And that's where, you know, we can go when it's not working out. So I do think there are some things unique to men around dating. I also think there's a lot of it that's kind of universal. We're all looking for for someone and having a lot of the same challenges. I am wondering um, for women, at least a lot of the clients that, that I have when they, and they always use the word soulmate. And then I um, do an eye roll. Um, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I'm like, Oh my God. Um, And I'm not knocking the whole soulmate thing, but, but, I think what happens is when you're looking for a soulmate, you forget to look at all the little things instead of going, oh, it's an energetic connection, right? Because there's so much vulnerability that needs to happen in order to make that connection to find out who that person is, right? And so it puts a, um, so uh, a lot of women, they they stress out because it's, you know, we're in that um, Beyonce, you know, I bought this, I made this, I earned this um, about you know, making sure that men aren't broke asses, right? That's the thing that my friends always say, is he a broke ass? If he's a broke yeah. ass and he's got to be out the door. And I'm like, shit, you guys, I was a broke ass, right? So, so we're at that place. Um, is that one of the anxieties that, 
that comes up when it comes to dating and, you know, as a gender, as you know, and is it gender specific? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that broadcast. I, you know, I don't know if this answers it exactly, but a lot of guys who I talked to over the years feel like they've been the nice guy who's empathetic, who's emotionally intelligent, who, you know, shows up and has inevitably like some female friends who they're attracted to or meet somebody who they would love to date and they don't register on that person's radar as you know like someone they want to be with so there's this feeling among a lot of guys of I'm either the friend zone you know Mm -hmm. nice guy feeling based guy or I would have to be sort of the superficial asshole guy who kind of doesn't really care but who's you know um that it's alluring to some women you know that kind of removed person and it feels like a crappy choice like these are the only two people I can be so some of the work is what is that door number three where you get to have all of those qualities and maybe this gets into some of the you know masculine feminine qualities which has nothing to do with men women you know gender wise we all have all of those things in us but is there a way that you can have both? Both people can have both. So it's not so polarized like that. In other words, like there is a it's sort of a joke that comes up where like some people say, I want a sensitive partner who pays attention to me. When that person actually finds that partner, all of a sudden they're bored as hell. And it's really flat, you know? And like they thought that's what they wanted and they get it and they're like, oh, this isn't really, I'm not enjoying this. Um, or there's a lot of uh, attachment stuff that comes along with this picture too but um yeah well you know here's another thing I have a question about love languages because a lot of the clients that I have they're like well I'm this kind of person and so this is what I'm looking for um (laughs) first does that come up in any of the conversations with your male clients and um what's your response because you know, a lot of people, they, they start going into, into like certain personality traits or archetypes. I'm not against that. However, mm-hmm. I believe that we're all so, we have so many dimensions to us that we're cutting ourselves short. So uh, yeah. Does that happen? Yeah, that it does come up a lot. Um, I actually find that pretty helpful. The love languages to understand some relationship dynamics especially when it comes to like, what are the unmet needs people are having? Cause those are the, usually the things that drive conflict or getting stuck in an unhelpful cycle. There's the surface thing that people focus on like the laundry or the chores or the money, but often there's something deeper that's not being met. And, you know, usually drawn to a partner who does not have the same love language as you. So it's really common for those signals to to miss each other. Um, and I'll tell you, like there is sort of a stereotype that guys are a little bit checked out, a little less in touch with themselves, but maybe it's the bubble of the Bay Area that we live in. There are a lot of men who are really in touch with this part of themselves and will bring up those kinds of topics. You know, I'm I'm a physical touch person or I'm a, you know, whatever, uh, meaningful acts and my partner is a, you know, words of affirmation, help me 
you know, with this gap, I don't know how to give what they're asking for. So it does come up. Yeah. I find that one helpful. Oh my God. D is um, gifts. She's damn expensive. She's mm-hmm. expensive. <laughs> Trinkets. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Here's a bottle cap. I thought of you. It's just, oh, oh, you're the best. there is another part of that that i think might be helpful to acknowledge which is for people already in relationships one thing i hear all the time and this comes up in some of the men's groups too is that a lot of guys really want to feel acknowledged and appreciated for the things that they do you know just the everyday things and a lot of times you know, their partner might feel like, well, why should I, you know, appreciate you doing like what we're all supposed to do? What's the big deal about that? But there is this need, I think, for some men to feel acknowledged and appreciated. And there's something really affirming about that. And that can come through words of affirmation. And when they feel more of that, they're actually more likely to give uh, what their partner is wanting. You know, sort of like, you give me what I'm needing, then I'm in a state to give you what you're needing. And I've seen that in a lot of couples sessions where the guy is saying, I just feel underappreciated. And, you know, the partner's saying, well, you're just, you know, why should I celebrate you for doing these things? And in some moments, my response is like, I, I totally get that. I understand your feeling about that. And if this is a need your partner's having, is there some way you could think about bridging that gap? Because I tell you, if you give him more of what he needs, he's going to be more available to you. And right. so it's a, a, you know, a positive cycle instead of a negative one that you're starting. Right. I have to say, um, I don't know about women because women, God, I feel like I'm generalizing all the time, but women like to share, right? They connect, a lot of women connect that way. At least that's, that's our groups. I think Michelle, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing that, um, I find really interesting are that um, when men go to therapy or they have therapy somewhere in their, in their life, I think about um, one person that we have in common, I'll just say his name, Ethan, because he grew up in therapy is that they have this great vocabulary and um, you don't have to have huge words, but it's that he gives himself permission to say the things that he needs to say in order to have these great conversations. Um, are you finding that, that men are starting to understand that, you know, they, I'm not saying they need to, but there's a greater conversation to be had. There's a, there's a lead into this. So just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of guys struggle with communicating basic needs and wants. And I also feel like it's not their fault in a lot of ways. There's a big toxic masculinity piece in this there's also you know we're all wired from our early family experiences and a lot of people um, didn't grow up in an environment where it was encouraged to you know express yourself or say how you really feel so if you think of a lifetime of holding all that stuff in all of a sudden you're with somebody who wants you to show up and do all that you know it's kind of like you need to learn another language but the good news is it's totally possible to do that and a lot of people are doing that in therapy every day building that vocabulary Uh, when some of that process is um, 
having to go through some of those deeper fears of what might happen if I do express myself in this way, because there's a vulnerability in doing that. And, you know, especially in our culture, that's one of the biggest things that a lot of guys work really hard to avoid is being vulnerable with someone else. So um, in my work, I really work with that piece of communication and getting in touch with that part of themselves that they may have been cut off from for all these reasons. And, you know, it's like, let's get to know that part. Let's make friends with that part. Let's understand all the, you know, I call them protector parts that get in the way of these more kind of raw parts of us that just want to come out and be felt or expressed. So that is a lot of the therapy work with men that I do is that kind of stuff. That's a great, very helpful observation, Nick. So I want to remind our listeners at this point that they are listening to Mind Power Beats Mystic with me, Michelle Walters, and my podcast pal, Cynthia Varkavisser. We are here today talking to Nick Whiteman about uh, men's issues and what's going on in that vein of things. And I had a question. I know you've been in this line of work for like 15 or something years. I'm wondering kind of what some of your observation are about how men's issues have changed over time. Um, what, what things you might've been seeing men struggle with 10 plus years ago mm -hmm. and what men are struggling with in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. One is that I hear from almost every guy I work with who's I'll say 30 or older-ish, is this hunger for male friendship. And this time of life where, you know, when you're younger, you're in high school or college, everyone's sort of there and you don't have to make so much of an effort to have a friend group or maintain that. But, you know, as people grow up and start doing their own thing, having families, having relationships, uh, a lot of those friendships you know, evolve or kind of die out sometimes. So I really have come across that, I call it a deep hunger for connecting with other men in a meaningful way. And that there's a lot of isolation guys feel, even if they have a happy career, happy, you know, relationship or family life. It's just a piece that nothing else can meet. And I think, you know, we're hardwired to connect with each other. We're social beings. And when we don't have enough of that, we feel it somewhere. So when guys show up to a men's group, for example, regardless of what gets talked about, just that act of being in a room of other guys who are there for the same reason is so healing for people. I mean, it's kind of amazing to just watch it sometimes. Um, so that's one piece that comes to mind. Another is... Uh, you know, I think following the the Me Too movement and some of the other social things in the last years in our culture, I have seen more of an awareness of the privilege that a lot of men have that they weren't really conscious of before and more of a concern about, you know, things like consent, but also, you know, I would say some fear around, I don't want to do something that's going to get me canceled you know, it's like ha being very careful out there in the world, even on social media, um, it's feeling like everything is 
record it. I don't want to write or say something that could be used against me. Um, so that's the part that comes up too. That's so sad because everyone deserves to be celebrated, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and it's sad for me to think that um, there's that looking over your shoulder type of thing, even though, yeah. you know, we all had, you know, people have had it for decades, depending on their, their background, right? Race yeah. specifically is what I was thinking of. Um, uh, what about, you know, uh, we talked about this, or I asked this question before we got on the podcast, is it feels like there's more anxiety um, in our culture. Um, and it seems to be more prevalent with men. And I'm not sure if that's true or not, it just appears that way. And I was wondering what is, what is your, what, what's your experience with, with that? Am I, am I off base or? Mm -hmm. Well, then can I ask you where, how do you see that showing up? Do you see it in your, your practices working with people? Where do you notice? Uh, It's actually in um, regular conversation as well as in my practice. And what I find is that a lot of men are, anxious about um, not making enough money for their partner in order to be a good provider or not being able to um, contribute to family when they have these ambitions. I find it very interesting because, you know, women talk about it in a different way, but it feels so much more different when it comes from a man's point of view because of the, you know, of the conception that you know, not that men have to be the breadwinner, but there is something to it. So things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like to think of anxiety as we call it an inhibitory emotion. So it is a feeling. It's like an experience we have. But a lot of times it's something that we're feeling because we're actually not able to feel something underneath the anxiety. And that's really the core emotion. And there's this cycle that is just, you know, built into our our brains and our systems to avoid things that are uncomfortable. So, you know, what happens is we might get close to feeling something that's just a core feeling. You know, there's a short list of those categories and something about it feels like it's going to be too much. So then we jump up into this anxiety, guilt and shame place. And so it's, it feels real, but it's actually, it's kind of like a distraction from the real thing. The solution to anxiety, which feels like shit, you know, to get stuck there is to then have some sort of defense, which is like the, you know, the water that puts out the fire. Right. And we all do this all the time. And it's not all bad, but it's like, you know, procrastination. Like I want to try something new, but as soon as I get close to that first day of this new class or really sitting down to make my website, I start to feel like, Fuck, what if I, what if I'm a, you know, a fool or what if I fail at this? Then I start to get anxious. And then I just say, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, right. or maybe I don't, maybe I don't really want this as much as I thought I did. So some of the work uh, that I do with people is to go backwards to, to say, what is the defense? What's the thing I'm doing to avoid feeling? And if that takes me to anxiety, how can you manage that anxiety and then eventually get to what's underneath it? And what you're saying is so spot on. For a lot of guys, it comes down to a fear of failure. Right. 
it's not the only thing, but it's, I just see it so often, this deep fear of failure or letting your partner down, letting others down. And it's, there's so much pressure around that, that, you know, it can cause a lot of problems for people. Right. Right. Thanks for, thanks for explaining it. And you pretty much pegged me when it came to the website thing. Michelle can tell you about that. It, oh yeah. Looks like, yeah. It looks like crap. Okay. Mine looks like crap. Michelle's looks great. Um, okay. So this is something that I've been wanting to talk about, but I forgot that I wanted to talk about. And I know uh, a lot of my clients, female clients, and when they talk about their relationships and, and these are long-term relationships, they're, um, you know, they're definitely uh, in their forties or beyond. And it has to do with sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so here are the things that I, he- that I hear. He doesn't know what I want. He uh, just isn't that great. I'm bored. I, you know, and I, and I say, you know, you have a responsibility. It's your body. So there's a, there is a, there is a conversation that needs to be had and it can be made playfully and made, you know, as long as you, as long as there's no accusations there, it's just a conversation. Right. And that there can be a lot of uh, fun there. Um, But, you know, do you have any, um, because, you know, people don't, I won't say they don't always listen to me because of course they do, but, <laughs> but um, do you have any other suggestions to women who have those complaints and, you know, how do they have these conversations? Because they also tend to be the same person that says that there's never a right time or they don't know how to approach. So when that comes up, do you have any tips for, um, for our, our people out there who have that challenge? Mm, yeah. It's amazing how that topic is something that most couples don't talk about, at least not explicitly. Even people who've been together for a long time, it's hard to talk about sex sometimes. Um, I think a lot of therapists, especially couples therapists, help to facilitate that, where it's like, okay, this is a little awkward, but let's just get some basic things on the table. What turns you on? You know, What turns you off? Uh, how do you really feel about your sex life now? Like, are you satisfied? What's missing for you? Um, I think about, there's this thing called the Happy Partners Project. And you can order this deck of cards. And it's really great. It has like five categories of prompts that you can talk about with your partner. One of those categories is intimacy. And there's some questions on there that are, you know, a little bit deeper, like, what do I do that turns you on? What's the fantasy that you have? I think sometimes couples need a, a little nudge to just push through that awkwardness and say, this is what, this is what I really want. Um, I think another part is what happens in the bedroom, you know, Esther Perel talks about, is often the results of other things happening in the relationship. So, you know, it's hard to, to look at the sex part separate from everything else. There may be some other needs that aren't, you know, being met. So if we can tend to this part, sometimes the physical intimacy unfolds from there. But uh, yeah, this is a tough one. Um, what else? But in what order are to some... 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say um, a lot of a lot of people usually say I don't really know how to approach the subject, and I love going to a therapist because then you know that there's when you walk in, you both know that you're going to have conversations that are going to be yeah. awkward. But for those yeah. who aren't having this converse, you know, this conversation with their therapist, do you have any suggestions besides the cards, which, you know, I love, I love that because it leaves it to chance, right. Which you're yeah. going to be talking about. So, mm-hmm. um, but do you have any other tips, like when to approach the subject or how, or, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah. I'm always a fan of like a, a weekly check-in, you know, I call it the state of the union where you just touch base. It doesn't have to be long, you know, but it's what's working well. Uh, how am I doing? What's working well and what needs attention? And sometimes having that already built in time to talk about stuff makes it so one person doesn't just have to fill up with anxiety or, or, you know, discomfort. And then it all kind of comes out that can lead to fighting. Those can be good moments to talk about it. Um, you know, I think there's a piece, I guess if I'm speaking from the guy's point of view, if that's helpful, what I yeah. hear from a, a lot of men is this feeling of if I'm too forward or too, you know, I don't know, um, like really go for it. I'm going to become the aggressive, like the aggressor, the perpetrator of something that's bad. And so, you know, I should sort of hold back. So I think there are some men with sex who are actually not fully embodied. They're not even, they're not in their bodies. And when you are, that's part of the connection and the pleasure. So um, I think, again, that comes from some discussion being really explicit. But there's also the idea that each person is in charge of their own pleasure. If you have people who are really concerned with pleasing the other person, sometimes you're actually coming out of your own self to make sure the other person is enjoying it and you're leaving yourself out of the equation. Right. And so um, taking responsibility for, for your own pleasure, if that makes sense. You know, again, uh, uh, Mating in Captivity is a good book that touches on some of that that stuff gotcha thank you thank Thank you so much much, nick this has been a really great conversation i've learned a ton and as somebody who's single and who's found great men in the past every now and again i get really down thinking there are no more great men out there it's encouraging to know that there are at least a few who visit therapists (laughs) <laughs> who are trying to get in in touch with their vulnerable selves and and find their path forward just like me. So thank yeah. you very much for some some uh, helpful words for me. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being on our show today. And just for the record, it wasn't for us. It was for a friend. We're asking for a friend. Oh, we're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Okay>. Right. <laughs> yes, I love that. I get a lot of those. And therapy. This friend of mine wants to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so great being with you too. Yeah. And yes, there are good guys out there who are great fits, great partners, uh, in their bodies, emotionally intelligent, and like ready to um, dig in and do the hard work. They really are. Yay. Wonderful. 
Thank you, you so find much. One. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, you guys. Bye-bye. You've been 